morning. Good morning to you. Towards the uh, end of last year, when we were down at uh, the cafe, I started sharing with you something that Audrey mentioned uh, earlier on, and that was, can these dry bones live? Can these dry bones live? It was to encourage you to move from a collection of dry bones into a mighty army. At that time we were doing true services, and so we had to curtail the time that we had available. And so I shared, started sharing with you the story of Ezekiel and the prophecy of the dry bones. But we only got as far as stage two out of the four. So I want to carry on with that and do a recap and to go on to the other stages as well. So if you want to turn with your Bibles, your electronic versions, your paper versions, or whatever you might have with you today, we're looking at Ezekiel 37 and the first 10 verses. We looked at stage one. Stage one was this, and the bones came together. The bones came together. This is the initial stage of turning from a, a scattering of dry bones and becoming a mighty army. We've heard this morning about the mighty army, and we've heard as well about the need to come together. You see, the word for church, this is what we are, the word for church is ecclesia. And ecclesia means an assembly together, a gathering together. And that's what we are, we're an ecclesia, we're a gathering together. It's not a church, it's not a building, it's not an organisation, it's not an institution. It's people, God's people, that are gathered together. And therefore, the first stage of going from a mighty army, from going to become a mighty army from a, direction, a collection of dry bones, is that the dry bones need to come together. And that was the first stage of the prophecy that Ezekiel saw. You see, to the Greeks in New Testament times, an ecclesia was this. It was an assembly of people that were set apart to govern and to rule. And that's what we are. We're a gathering together of a people who are to be ruling and reigning. It's all about the kingdom of God. This is about governing. We are about governing in the kingdom of God. So church, ecclesia, we gather together to be a people who govern in the kingdom of God. Or reminding us, we are priests and we are kings. We are a kingdom of priests. And therefore we gather together. The first thing we need to do is to gather together. If you look at the story of the Acts of the Apostles right in the very beginning, you see that one of the things that the people did in the very early church. They gather together. They gather together like we do, or some of you, every month. 
doesn't say that in scripture. But they might have gathered together once a week. Again, it doesn't say that they that in scripture. They might have gathered together a few times during the week. No scripture tells us that the early church gathered together daily. Church gathered together daily. That's what they wanted to do. They were so, something about them, they wanted to meet with other people. Do we want to gather together daily? It may well be that this is not so easy in our way of life that we've got today. But surely we can gather together at least once a week. Once a week, if not more than once a week. Modern technology is such these days that we can be physically miles and miles away. But we can gather together by Skype. We can gather together by FaceTime. I just love the modern technology that we can communicate, we can be in contact. We might not be physically with one another, but we can gather together. We our German spiritual daughter had to be in Germany at Christmas. But we gathered together Christmas morning around the table. Put the laptop on the table. She was in Germany. She was with her sister-in-law. We were the two boys, Ruth and I, gathered around the table. We had breakfast together. We champagne together. We had uh, scrambled egg on toast and whatnot. We opened our presents together. We gathered together around the table. Surely we can be in, 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 do some more initiative, but we can gather together. If not daily, we could gather together weekly. So let's gather together. Let's be a people that gather together, not once a month, one, once every quarter. Let's aim to gather at least weekly, if not more than that. The second stage, stage two, verse eight. I looked. And tendons and flesh appeared on him. Tendons and flesh and ligaments. Last time we looked at what, what were these ligaments? What, what were these things? What does it say about tendons and ligaments? What does it mean? And we noted from uh, Ephesians that from him, that's from Christ, the whole body is joined together and held together by every supporting ligament and it grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does it grow. We need to be joined together. There is a coming together and we need ligaments and we need tendons and we need something to join us together. We're not a scattering of bones. We're not to remain as a scattering of bones all over the individuals. We're joined together. We're linked together. See, if the church is to be built up, we need to be joined together. If we need to be joined up, we need, we, we, need, we need to be built up. We need to be joined together. And each part must play its part. And so you should, by this stage, be asking, what is the part that I have to play in the body of Christ? Where do I fit in to this body? 
I have a role to play. I have a function to play. I have a part to play. I need to be connected to other people. I need to be linked into other people so that we can be built up collectively. Together we can be built up to be the body of Christ. You see, if we just come together and we're not joined up, we're just like a pile of bones, dry bones, on top of one another. And the dry bones doesn't turn it into a functioning body. They're just a pile of dry bones. What part are you supposed to play? Ask yourselves. And what work should I be doing in order to build the body up here? We looked again in Ephesians 4. And notice that Christ had given gifts to his people. He said he gave these gifts to the people in order that they may be for works of service. He listed them. There were apostles, there were prophets, there were evangelists, there were pastors, there were teachers. It's the only place in scripture where the pastor is mentioned. And the pastors are there to build up the people for the works of service. And the reason for that is that so that we all become mature. We all become to the full stature of Christ. This is the function, this is the gift that Christ has given to build us up to become more and more like Jesus. It's what our purpose is, to be like Christ. This, the word there is all about getting people prepared. It's putting something in its place. It's making sure that things work together. It's about making something complete and right for purpose. And we looked at some of the dictionary definitions of what ligaments were. Uh, just a summary of that which we said last time. The ligaments join or fasten or fit together the bones. They, they, they link the bones together. So God has given us people that will enable the bones to be linked and joined together and fitted in the right place. Uh, and they're there in order to avoid dislocation. When you get a shoulder that's just dislocated or a finger that's gets dislocated. It's very painful and you've got to slot it back into place again. And these people are to slot these bones into place to make them go together. And the ligaments and the tendons are there to try to ensure that they don't go out of place or in the position that they're in. They have a supporting function. These ligaments, these gifts that Christ has given us have got a supporting function. And these ligaments are involved in the growth of the body. The part, they're there to help build the body up. But it's God, and only God, that really causes the body to grow. And I suggested to you at that time that these gifts that Christ has given were the fivefold ministries that were mentioned in Ephesians 4, verse 11. And they were the supporting ligaments mentioned in verse 16. God's gifts to us. earlier that we we are priests and kings Audrey emphasised that again this morning we are priests, we are part of the royal priesthood of God 
And you know that in the Old Testament, <coughs> God gave gifts to the priest. Do you know who they were? They were the Levites. He said, I've given you the Levites as a gift to the priests. They were the gifts to Aaron and his sons who were the priests. And these gifts there were to help the priests in the ministry. That was the Old Testament. And do you know what the word Levi means? The meaning of the word Levi is attached or joined together. Isn't that amazing? In the Old Testament, the Levites were given to the priest as gifts. In the New Testament, God gives gifts to his priests, you and I, and they are the fivefold ministries to join us together in the same way. Every Christian is now part of a spiritual ironic priesthood. And this is known as the priesthood of all believers. And God's gifts to us in these days are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Not that they should do all the work. No, their role and responsibility is to equip people like you and us to be able to do the work of ministry. These are people, these, these are people who have the gifting and the anointing to be able to do the work that God has got for them to put people in place, to make sure that they're in the right place, doing the right things, so that each part of the body grows accordingly. So are you properly aligned? Do you feel that you're in the right place? Do you feel that you're awkward in some way? Not fulfilling the role and function that seems to be right for you? Because you know, it's all very well God Giving us gifts. But if they just if he just gives them to us and we don't do anything with it, and we don't use them, then they're no use at all. They're little use to us if we don't use them. About ten years ago a man came to see me on a regular basis. We had a time of prayer together and we shared, we looked at scripture. Um, I think he wanted a little bit of fellowship and to sort out some problems in, in his life and we started looking at scriptures but one of the things that he told me very very strongly was this the apostles were only the 12 disciples that Jesus appointed and he said there are no longer any apostles because they all died away and those were the only 12 and although we looked at scripture together and we saw that they were all, a lot of other apostles that were mentioned in scripture after Jesus uh, died and was resurrected and went into heaven again. He refused to believe and to accept that they were apostles today. And so if we refuse the gifts that God has given us and say they don't exist and they, well, I'm not going to do anything with them, they're just like Christmas presents that we just leave to one side. I mean... You, you using you must have Christmas presents that you were given and you haven't used at all. They're just lying around, wasted. Or you wish that you could get rid of them and you're going to take them down the charity shop because they're taking up space. And so often you know that God has given us gifts and that's what we do. 
We lay them to one side, we ignore them and wish they would go elsewhere because they're taking up space and room in our place. Is that our attitude with the gifts that Jesus has given us? Do we say that there are no such things as apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors these days? Well, there might be some, one or two of those, particularly towards the latter end. But we ignore the others. We refuse to accept these gifts that Jesus has given us, just like an unwanted Christmas present. You see, we should be seeking to be equipped to do the things that we should be doing and not leaving it to someone else. Are we doing what we should be doing? Are we fitted into the body of Christ or are we leaving it to someone else? Usually we leave it to the pastor or we leave it to the minister or we leave it to someone else. All of us need to be involved in this. We need to be joined and linked together. That's what the tendons are for, that's what the ligaments are for, and I believe the ligaments of these five ministries to join us together. But we come to stage three. Ezekiel 37 verse 8, it says, Flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Why do we have skin? Why do we have flesh? Why is skin and flesh so important? The obvious reason is if we did have skin and flesh, we wouldn't be seen. We wouldn't be recognised. You see, the skin and the flesh are an outward appearance of as who we were. If I walked in that door this morning and I didn't have any skin or flesh on me, not only would some of you be very frightened and uh, be very worried, but you wouldn't know who I was. I would, we'd just be a skeleton coming in. You wouldn't say, that's Dave coming in. He'd say, there's a skeleton coming in, but I don't know who that is. We wouldn't be recognised because we didn't have any flesh or skin on us. See, right at the very beginning of John's Gospel, John writes this. John records that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And suddenly, all that the children of Israel had was this vague concept of who God was. They had the, the Old Testament, shall we say, describing who God was. And then suddenly Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus came in flesh and blood, and they said, Ah, yes, that's what God looks like. We see God when we see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see God because God came in the flesh. See, God was just known, only really known at that time by those people, by the written word. They had the outline, they had the skeleton, as it were. But Jesus came to give them clarity. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, John writes. This was God being revealed. This was God being seen by his people. And whoever saw Jesus saw God. He said, if you see me, you see the Father. Can we say the same thing as God's children? Can you say this morning, if you see me, you see God? 
in some way or some form or another. Because whoever sees the body of Christ should also see God. If people see us, they should see something of God in us. And we've been talking about an amazing God, a wonderful, awesome, majestic God this morning. We sing about it. Do people see something of that awesome, majestic, wonderful God in us? Or are they seeing something else? A skeleton, a pile of dry bones. You see, how are we recognised as Christians? How are we going to be recognised as Christians? I know Jesus said, by your fruits you will know them. And so, fruit what we do, what we produce, is part of that. And one of the key fruits is love, of course. And that's coming through. God loves us. And we are to people who love one another as well. He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. And by this, by your loving of one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Love is a part of that flesh. Love for one another. It's a part of that flesh. People see us. People can identify with us. And this love only can come as we remain in Christ. You know that uh, John 15, abiding in the vine, as we abide in Christ, that's when we will be able to produce the fruit. I mentioned earlier about uh, the early disciples. John and Peter were brought before the Sanhedrin religious rulers of that time. And after the day of Pentecost, the people said, or the people in the Sanhedrin said, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There was something about them that revealed Jesus. Something that Jesus had rubbed off on them in such a way that they recognised that they had been with Jesus. people recognise that we've been with Jesus? Do we go out of this gathering together when we meet with God collectively that people see that there is something different about us? Moses, when he went with God, his face shone with the glory of God. And I believe that that's not just for, for Moses. I believe there should be something about us. Not only our faces shining, but something of a radiance and the glory and the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, to shine out for us and be revealed to us. The abiding presence of God will enable us to be recognised. See, John the Baptist told the. Uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees that they needed to prove by the way that they lived that they were really had repented of their sins. Lip service we want to do, just do. Just saying the right things and doing the right things uh, by ourselves. We need a change of heart. We need to allow that fruitfulness to come into being. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only ones who does my will and my Father who is in heaven. 
And you know we've been talking about an apostolic house and we've been going on about an apostolic house. A simple definition, one little definition of apostolic house is that it's got something to do with obeying the apostles' teaching. It relates to the apostles, it relates to their teaching. It's demonstrating a life of trust and obedience by your works, by the way that they act. They will know you repented and changed and be transferred. Let me ask you this question as well. If you were to be arrested and put on trial at the charge of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Interesting thought. Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Because I, I put it to you that most people who are outside of Christianity, they're in that position because people like you and I don't know what real Christians are really like, or really should be. They've got no idea of the wonder and the awesome and the magnificence and the glory of what Christian is all about, because we don't reveal it. We don't show it, we don't talk to them about it, we don't tell them. We're apologetic. So you see, they get their ideas of what Christians like from people like you and I. And they come to the conclusion that most Christians live a miserable life, full of rules and regulations and things they've got to do. miserable people on earth. They're shackled by their religion. They're tied down. And they're I mean, is that, is that the, the way that we portray being a Christian is to the world? At the best, you know, many of us are just half-hearted because we don't really realise what the true nature the life in Christ is all about. How are we collectively, that whole community church, seen in the body of Christ? How does the world recognise that we exist? Is it just because we've got three signs on the way into this building that we and anybody ever knows us there's such a thing as a community church? There have been times when the church has left the walls of its building. I'm talking about hope again. It's gone out into the community. Some of you with long memories will remember some in the city cleaning days on the race course at the state, for example, at Northolt. There have been car washes uh, when we've gone outside of the building and washed people's cars down at the, uh, the centre. There's been Christmas cheer. Those of you new to us, we, we, uh, week before Christmas, we would meet the commuters outside North Paragon uh, um, Station and give them tea and coffee as they went into work. We've gone outside of our buildings. We've gone out in the communities and people have realised that Hope Community Church exists. 
You see, I believe that as an apostolic house, we're being called to be sent out. Phil said it this morning, shared God's word. We gather together in order to be sent out. That's what apostolic means, it's being sent out. We come outside where everybody else is, not hiding away in a little room somewhere. We need to be seen in the flesh, this is what I'm saying. We need to be seen in the flesh. The flesh needs to come together. The skin and the flesh, people need to see it. Otherwise, we're just a skeleton. We need to be seen in the flesh by our communities as the body of Christ. And you know, this is something which is much bigger. It's not just Hope Community Church. It's bigger than Hope. It involves, involves the wider body of Christ in our community. If you were to ask, people in, in, in uh, say in Perivale, in our local community, or maybe I'll ask you, where is the body of Christ in Perivale? Where does uh, the average run-of-the-mill person, not the people in Perivale here are run-of-the-mill, but what does the average person in Perivale, where, where, how do they recognise, where is the body of Christ? You can answer me if you like. Where is the body of Christ in Perivale to the average person? I mean, you could say it's in the church. Apart from Hope Community Church, does, does anybody else know any other church in Perivale? The A40. The A40? Is that, that's the St. John's, the Catholic Church on the A40? There's the Petra in the community. Where is that? What sort of church is that? I mean, you and I are struggling, and I know them. The Methodist church is closed. Everybody Methodist. There's an Anglican and an RUC on the Midwest state. The big church, the big church in Paravel, St. Mary's and St. Nicholas, some of you have never heard of it. Some of us have been prayer walking with people from there, we've been prayer walking with Petra. But we are Christians and we have, we're almost struggling to recognize God's body in parallel. And the number of people who live in parallel and don't even know anything about Hope Community Church, I would say are in the vast majority. Because we've got to have that skin and the flesh on us. You see, my experience, and it might be the, it might be the same as you, but you, we, we can ask Esther and Abby perhaps as well. When you go out onto the streets, like some of us do with uh, street pastors, prayer on the streets on a Saturday morning, um, and you meet with people out on the streets, one of the things they say to you, which church do you go from? Thinking that you must be a church coming out on the streets to pray with people and help people. Uh, and when you say to them, we come from a lot of different churches, not, they are amazed, aren't they? They don't believe that churches work together. 
Their idea is that we, the church, Christians in Eden, are scattered in dry bones, which are always arguing with one another, are always fighting one another, and they are just amazed that Christians can actually work together and that prayer on the streets, soul in the city, street pastors, Christians actually work together and come together and are friends with one another and actually like one another. It's almost unbelievable to them. I mean, that's my experience. It, it, that, that is strange, you know. They, they do feel that it's amazing. Because that's their con conception. They don't see the body of Christ working together. They think that it's just a lot of dry bones. Scattered around, yeah, they're in the different places. Dry, miserable, dry bones. They're usually arguing with one another, disagreeing with one another. I believe, you see, that we need to be seen by our community. It's not all of it, but it's part of it. We've got to be seen by people in the community, in unity and working together. We've got to be seen to be a body of people. This is one way. It's just a little one way. A couple of years ago, churches, faith movements in Eden did a survey of what the church was doing in the community. And on the 8th of March, church leaders are gathering together key members of the community to share with them what God is doing in the community. Uh, an organisation called Cinnamon Faith is putting together across the country evidence of what the church or what faith groups are doing in the country, the contribution that it's making. And when you gather together the evidence and you start sharing it with community, key community leaders, they will be amazed at what the church is already doing, but they don't see it. There is a civic prayer breakfast on the morning of the 8th of March. It's been put back a couple of times, and so unfortunately I won't be able to make this occasion. But we will be meeting the key leaders of the community, the mayor, councillors, police representatives, university representatives, key business people, to share with them to say that this is what we as faith organisations in the in the, uh, in the borough are doing. And how can we help you? How can we pray for you? How can we support you in what you're doing? We, when Lee was here, we were hoping that we, as a whole community church, could have made a, a contribution, but things didn't necessarily work together in that, re in that respect. But on a snapshot that was taken of across the borough, here's some figures for you. It only involved a 23.6 resp uh, response rate. Didn't include hope with all it does. But it recorded that 29 churches were providing 272 projects involving 3,260 volunteer roles 
which resulted in 60,474 beneficiary interactions with people. You understand what that means? But this is what blows me away. And it provided a total financial value of £5,399,932. And that's just a snapshot of about a quarter of responses. You might be able to pro rata it up. But it was worth well over £5 million to Ian. And people don't realise it. Because we're not seen. We, we don't like to blow our own trumpets, we don't like to make a, a big fuss about it. But we wanted to present this. These are facts. This is what the community is doing. And it's only a small part of it, but it needs to be seen. This is just the start of the flesh coming on the body of Christ in the Bible. Martin Scott said to us in his prophetic words uh, that were given to us, we're not to think of just our immediate area. We're not just to think of a small geographical locality because we were going to make connections beyond the immediate area. And this is a call for us to be more outward looking. And I should probably be banging on about a little statement. We should be concerned with community outreach, not community in drag. It's not community out, we're, we're into community outreach, not community in drag. If you can think of nothing else, Daphne will say, go! <laughs> Most of us say, why don't you come to church? Great command is to go. We say, come. We need community outreach. Not so much as community in drag. We need to be outward looking. And so I come to stage four, moving from a body of dry bones, a scattering of dry bones towards that mighty eye. Verse 10 of Ezekiel 37 says this, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life. That's what we want. We want, I just want you and me and us to come to life. Come to life, abundant life. Life in its fullness. Overflowing life. And I believe God wants us to emphasise two things in this. In this stage. The first thing is the power. The power of the spoken word. The words that we speak are so powerful. James talks about it as being like a fire. Tongue is like a fire, it can burn and can destroy. But the words we speak can be building up, can be life giving, it can be powerful. But we can also speak words we tear down and kill and to destroy. We need to be careful with the words that we speak. But we need to speak them. Because the spoken word 
is so powerful. And the second of this stage is we need to know the breath, the breath coming in and things to come into being. The breath entering our bodies. Right at the back of creation, way back there in Genesis, the first five days, God said, spoke, didn't he? Let there be. He spoke the word and things came into being. Out of the elements, the elements of creation were formed by the spoken word of God. And I'm not going to go into the technicalities of this this morning, but I believe that scientists are beginning to realise what the Bible is taught all the time. That as a result of God's spoken word, things came into being because it says by his word, all things, all creation is held together. And if he stopped speaking, creation would uh, disappear. That's what the scientists have found. That there's something which is vibrating in the smallest possible part of uh, the universe. And if that vibration was to stop, it would all disappear. There's something powerful in the spoken word. God spoke and things came into being. He didn't create it from nothing. It's just that it wasn't seen. He spoke and that which was unseen was revealed. The Amplified Version of Ephesians of uh, Hebrews 8, uh, Hebrews 11 verse 5 says this, by faith we understand that the worlds during successive ages were framed, fashioned, and put in order and equipped for their intended purposes. Fashioned and joined together and equipped for their intended purposes. This is not what we started from early on. This is what the apostolic house is about. This is what apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists are to put things into place and to hold them together. That's what God is doing through his spoken word. It's all coming together. It's joined together by the word of God. God didn't make creation out of nothing. But it was just he made things out of things which were not visible at the time. But on the sixth day things changed. <laughs> the first five days God spoke to the elements. Let there be, he said. Come on, bring it on, he said. Bring it on. On the, on the sixth day, he spoke to himself. He said, let us make man in our own image. He didn't speak to the elements, he spoke to himself. And man was created from something which came from God speaking to himself. God was taking something of himself and putting it into Adam. Wow. Because Adam was to be like him. He said, let us make man Adam in our own image. So it was something of himself, something of his own image, something of his own likeness. Something of himself was to go into him. But he not only spoke the word, he not only spoke those words to himself, but you know the story, don't you? He breathed into it. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God spoke, and the breath of God came into man. There's, need, there's a need for something which is called this something out of God. 
needs to come into us. There is a need to take this something out of God and for it to be planted within silence. The spoken word by itself will have no effect. Phil and I and others can stand up here or we can speak to the house of as we used to say down in Devon. But it has no effect until the life of the Spirit of God comes in. Quickens it, touches it, transforms, does something in your life. The emphasis in this stage four is the need for both the spoken word and for the breath of God. The Hebrew word for breath is probably, you know, is uh, used in this passage in Ezekiel as ruah, uh, and it's translated in other places in the Old Testament as wind or spirit. Wind or spirit. Reminds you of the day of Pentecost. The believers were together in one place. Speaking to God, talking to God, and as they were speaking, wow, wind came down. A mighty wind came upon them. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You see, previously, these early disciples. Maybe 120 of them were just like a lot of long dry bones gathered together in a room, an upper room there, having no effect. I don't think anybody knew that they existed there. But suddenly, as they were praying, the wind of God, the Spirit of God came like a mighty wind. They were completely changed. They became alive, they became functioning. Turned into a mighty army, a mighty army that was unstoppable. A few frightened disciples gathered together suddenly changed when the wind of God came into them and they became like a mighty army. Prayer is like us hearing the sound of heaven and speaking back to God in words that He gives us. That's what prophecy is all about. That's what prayer is all about. Just speaking out what God gives us. A simple definition of prayer is that God says something, we hear it, we speak it out, it goes back into heaven, something happens in the heavens, which causes something on here on earth to, to operate. I mean, it's just as simple as that. God could do some of these things without us having to speak the words, you know. But he wants us to join in. He wants us to partner with him. He wants us to be part of it. I'll tell you what to say, he says. You say it and I'll do it. You get it. We've got to speak the words. Spirit comes down and things start happening. The people prayed on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit came. And there needs to be a sound on earth. There needs to be a sound on earth before God in heaven will respond. He could have done it a different way, but that's the way he chooses it. And you see, these prophetic words that we've been given over the years, those prophetic words that uh, Eugene May spoke to many of you a couple of weeks ago, they will remain just as words. But we need the breath of God to bring them alive. We need to be 
We need to start moving from the scattering of dry bones. We need to start to come together. We need to be connected together with one another so that we're ready to be seen as the body of Christ. And as we speak forth the words that God gives us, and as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will indeed be transformed into a mighty army which will bring forth the kingdom of God wherever we are. Bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. <laughs>